0: Greetings and welcome to another session of Speaking Through My World. This uh, podcast, I'd like to look at gender-based violence and where we are as a country. We can look at the various stats that have been released um, from uh, the South African police, from uh, different uh, sectors within the space, but are those stats 100% accurate? And the reason why I question this is that there's so many factors at play that, that, that feed into rape culture that prop up and support the patriarchy and uh, misogyny. So many factors and platforms and organisations that show support towards alleged and convicted perpetrators, um, and, and very few, um, I don't want to use the word accurate, but uh, transparent spaces that that show true support and give proper support to those that speak out and to victims and survivors of, of gender-based violence. So let's start with, 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 with the South African Police Service. Uh, granted that a lot of work has been done, granted that there are... Uh, police personnel who do their jobs accurately and convictions have been made. But looking at the rate of how cases are handled and, um, you know, the, the, the list I'm going to give you now is from personal experiences, from witnessing of what people have gone through, witnessing on my, 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 my personal space. But the reality remains when a victim or survivor goes into a police station... A lot of the time, it's not easy for them to open up a case. And there are various factors at play. Uh, Sometimes people just don't want to do their jobs. Uh, In one case, one police person was uh, actually said to the victim, no, it's their time to go off. They don't have time to to open up this file. It will take too long. Uh, We know how files go missing. Normally when files go missing or if, if personnel don't want to open up a case, it's usually because it's a high-profile person or VIP or politician who has been accused. And a lot of the time it takes many, many hours to convince South African police personnel to just do their jobs. Now understand, if a person has gone through this most horrendous ordeal this trauma has been inflicted on their bodies. So there's that physical trauma and then, of course, the emotional trauma. Um, and, of course, that is even heightened if it's just happened and it's still very, very fresh. Not to say that, that if, if a crime happens and, and somebody wants to open up, a police, uh, open up a case 10 years down the line, they're not going to be affected emotionally. The, the, the trauma still remains. The trauma is still there. And so after many hours of sitting in a cold police station, um, many times not offered any food, not offered any water. Um, In some police stations, there are quiet rooms, there are safe spaces that are are taken to, but in many cases, it's just out in the open for everybody to hear your business. And so if if victims and survivors are lucky enough to get to the second stage where a case is opened, and also we cannot forget the excuses that police will give, so for one, which is an excuse that was given to me, was that, well, the crime happened in, an, in another province. I need to go to that province to open the police to open the case, which is nonsense. If the crime happened in South Africa, you can open up the case in any police station in South Africa. And it is the duty of the South African police services to send that docket to the, to, 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 to the closest police station where the crime happened. Unfortunately, people, many people don't know what their rights are, and they believe that, okay, well, if it happened there, then I don't have a case. And so if a case gets open, then what happens? It's up to the police to gather enough evidence so that they have a solid file to hand over to, to, na- to the National Prosecuting Authority, the NPA, because then it's the NPA that then decide if the case is viable, if there's enough evidence and then they take the case to court. So if the police don't do the job and gather their evidence, the NPA can't, can't, can't do their jobs. And many people say, well, cases are thrown out of court. No, if the, if the case doesn't make it to the court, if the NPA stops it because of lack of evidence, which is the, 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 common, um, the common trait and the common um, uh, uh, reason why many cases don't go to court, is because there's lack of evidence. So going back to the police, we know that there are high levels of corruption. We know that they are under-resourced. Uh, gathering evidence means doing additional work. In one case, um, uh, police even said, well, they didn't They didn't want to do the additional work because these type of cases will just be hovering between police stations because they didn't have the accurate the accurate um, address of where the crime took place. But it is up to the detectives and the investigating officers to find the truth in that, to find that evidence. That is what they're equipped to do. In a a personal case, where I opened up a case against the perpetrator, it didn't even receive, it didn't even get to the NPA because the investigating officer at SAP decided that he didn't need to interview the alleged perpetrator, my perpetrator. And I'm going to say my perpetrator, it's not alleged, because he, he, did, he did commit a crime, and he did violate me. But because this investigating officer at, at, at SAP, whatever reason, whether there's a connection to the perpetrator, or whatever the reason is, felt that, well, no. He didn't feel like um, contacting the perpetrator to verify the story despite the fact that there was evidence that the perpetrator had had admitted to the crime and had apologized. So there was already evidence. So understand when, when, when cases are then dropped, it's not because the perpetrators have been found innocent. It's just that they've never had their day in court. Let's go to the next level, the courts. Opening up a protection order, If you look at the South African Police Service website, or at least a couple of months ago if you did, it stated that if you wanted to open up a protection order, you needed to go into a police station They would give you the necessary forms, and then you go to the closest magistrate court. Once again, from experience, that doesn't happen. Number one, when you walk into the police station, you're often persuaded not to. You ask why. You question on the validity of what, what happened to you and then you're told there's nothing that they can do, that you need to go to the magistrate court. So you go to the magistrate's court, and you need to prove that the person that has violated you is a dang- is dangerous, and that you're, you need to be protected. In many cases, there's children involved, there are parents involved, there are other people involved. And proving emotional abuse is very, very, very difficult. Because number one, if the perpetrator, or alleged perpetrator, controls your finances, how are you able to seek out counseling or therapy or psychological help if you don't have money, if somebody's controlling your finances? And the only way to really prove emotional psychological abuse is, is if you get an evaluation from, from an expert or an expert can prove that this person has been seeing me over a certain amount of time and with, with uh, permission from, from their client speak on their behalf in court. Now, if somebody's been in a relationship or a marriage for many, many years and their partner has been emotionally and psychologically and financially abusing them for such a long time, when it first starts, you don't think, okay, well, I need to, to gather this evidence, I need to um, prove because I'm, I'm, I will get my day in court. We don't think about that when it's happening because you're trying to, to figure out why, why it's happening, number one, but also get healing. And then you've got to go through the processes of, of, of not blaming yourself, protecting your family. And it's a lot to play. It's a lot to, 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 to put on one individual. So once again, the courts and the, court prote- and, and the protection orders, yes, they're there, but it's also not very, very easy for victims and, and survivors to, to have access to them, to get the protection that they're needed. And then if we look at other cases where people have obtained the protection order, the perpetrators violated that and nothing happens to them. We've seen it happen where people are buried, are killed, even though a protection order was in place. Then, moving into the space where the policies and actual changes could be made, and that is on a government level, that is on a political level. Um, As activists and feminists, we know that a lot of this is just for want of a better word, whitewashed, and just, you know, a lot of window dressing is happening. So people will set up, and, and places and platforms will set up GBV desks. And, and um, when it comes to Women's Month or 16 Days of Activism, you know, all the campaigns are brought out, the hashtags are brought out. But the actual work on the ground and the policies where, it could be, where change could happen, not much is happening. And I'm going to use the, 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 the perfect example of, of the, the EFF. Uh, this week was an incredibly triggering week for many people, but more particularly for, for victims and survivors of, of the two, two DJs in question. And, um, you know, you can look at my other podcasts and on, on, you know, what has unraveled in the DJ Fresh and Euphonic Cases and how rape culture has, and always, supports the perpetrators and does not protect those who speak out. And so what had happened was, through the EFF platform, they posted a video of DJ Fresh thanking them for supporting artists in the space. Just for those who are listening to the podcast and and need a bit of context, during um, uh, lockdown, um, our government uh, uh, gave very, very little support to people within the arts. And as we know, the gig economy has really, really suffered greatly. Uh, Our labor laws don't protect us because we are freelancers. And so our entertainers have, and, uh, and, and, and performers have really, really suffered. And so as much as it is a great platform for what EFF has done, have done for, for artists, and there were other artists that came on and did their videos and, and thanked them and so forth. And we know it's also just political clout because elections are coming out, and that's fine. We know the game. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But because of the public presence and the the trials and the, not really trials, but, but the, the way how the allegations have played out and how they have, have perpetuated additional emotional support on those that have spoken out. Uh, for the EFF to post their videos through their platform was triggering, it was unnecessary, and it just supports the notion that they're pushing rape culture. It would be a different story if they did it on their own accord and then, you, you know, then you've got nothing to do about it because they, you know, they did it on their own platforms, but it was done through a political platform. And why it is so triggering for the, the other survivors who were not affected by, by, the, by the two alleged perpetrators is that you know, this political party was one of the, the spaces that we know Feminists have been working hard for many, many years about changing the narrative, about changing policies. And this move derailed a lot of that work. And, and even one of the warriors, Sima, even quoted, saying that, you know, it's easy to, to break down a house that you didn't build. And 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 speaks to, to the reality of the work that went into into building up feminist policies within, within that space. And then what's even worse is that, you know, we're in a space where we're exhausted. We sometimes overlook things. We sometimes don't see the bigger picture. And that's fine because we're human. But when we're called out, that is the time where we need to reflect. And we've all happened. It's all happened to us, where we might have said the wrong thing, we've done the wrong thing, but when you're reined in and pulled in by people who have been in this space for such a long time and who know, reflect on that. And even if you disagree, then, then disagree, but there's no need for violent retaliation because then that just feeds into how the patriarchy works. And so I also need to mention, you know, there, there are a lot of true feminists within this space. And we, we humbly request that, you know, you, you use your agency and work within that space because we believe that, that, that the intention is there. And a lot has been placed on your shoulders, but unfortunately you are in that space and it's for you to, to change those policies. Otherwise, stand up to it. You know, it's not easy doing the work of, of feminists and activists, but, but it's necessary And if you're in a platform where change can be made and you're not doing anything when when the institution messes up, then why are you there? And especially if it's an institution that has set up a so-called GBV desk. Because something like this should have been looked through and there's speculation that was online that yes it was these questions did come up but the answer was well he was never convicted now let's go back to the to to to, to the trail of events that happened he was never the, the case he didn't lose he didn't lose he didn't win in court they never got their day in court why because the npa didn't get enough evidence did the police do enough work It's question that, because within a couple of weeks, they'd handed over everything to the NPA. So you mean to say that a crime that happened many, many years ago, the right players were involved, there was evidence given that they do their thorough job of handing over a concrete file to the NPA. And just because the NPA said that there's not enough evidence to go to court doesn't mean that the crime didn't happen. And then you look at the multiple, multiple allegations against the two, 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 two DJs in question. All of those different people from different walks of life can't all be lying. And then look at the way that they handled it, on how they, they played themselves within the rape culture mode, lying about a family member saying that, that, that the, 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 the one victim um, is, 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 is a liar. The one DJ even said that, that the person was trying to extort money from them. There was no proof of that. The press ombudsman agreeing That the WhatsApp message that was posted, including a survivor's details, was a lie and it was orchestrated. And then the press going and, and, and reporting on that without, with knowing very well that the WhatsApp message was fake. So all of these different factors play and feed into the rape culture. the multi-layers of gaslighting. There've been allegations that in the past, in um, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements had been signed, which which victims and survivors were forced to sign. Another way of silencing people. So once again, we cannot ignore the patriarchy's at play here. This move, in my opinion, has three very, very worrying, but at the same time, um, obvious trends. Number one, it was done to create havoc amongst feminists and activists, to derail us, to distract us. Because looking over the years on the work that has been done on the ground, on policy level, The misogyny and the patriarchy is slowly but surely crumbling and dismantling. And this is shaking a lot of people. So in order to to to, to gain control, is that you set up different places where you give so called transparency and access to feminists and activists, but when they become too strong, you need to just shake them up, you know, create havoc between, between themselves. Then the other thing is that creating and derailing the process, in my opinion, was also an attack on the victims and survivors. Because something like this will affect the healing, will affect their progress, and take them back, not necessarily all, but could also take them back in their healing journey emotionally and psychologically. And then also setting up a system that your head of communications, who you know very well will will get the backlash, is a woman. And then also in closing, in terms of the spaces that, that should be making the necessary changes, in relation to this case also, which was a very, very, which was very, very strategic from the two um, alleged perpetrators, the two DJs in question, was that setting up a connection or a platform that should the, 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 they win their court case, their defamation court case, they will then pay out a woman's organization. And you can go and check this. Everything is online. And, and the, the figure that was put on the table was a million rand. It was 500,000 each per DJ. And the fact that this, de- that this NGO in question didn't decline this straight away, it took a couple of months for, the, for a reaction to come out. And that was because the reaction was made public um, by, by various other NGOs. That is incredibly problematic. Because as... For many years, this, this, this NGO, which was an NGO that I supported, was, was, was known and, 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 and vigilant and supposed to be out there and supporting survivors and never come out in support of, 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 of the, the victims and survivors. And what's more is that when they were caught out, is that instead of doing the right thing and making an application to the court, and maybe it's been done now, but even the, the, the press release that was written, um, with many, many errors um, in it, the narrative also speaking to, to the patriarchy and speaking about, well, the perpetrators were never convicted. How could they be convicted if they didn't get to court? They didn't get to court because the NPA didn't receive enough evidence. Why? Well. They're very, very high profile figures. Let's just let's just put it there. So the delayed response shows lack of solidarity. And once again, as I said, when, when, when we make a mistake and we called and we called out and you need to step up and, and own that apology, that could have been done in a more empathetic way, in a more feminist way. And so, where are we? Because, yes, we work in silos and there are many feminist spaces which which I now only operate in, and safe ones, um, um, of building and working towards a feminist economy and and understanding the fundamental principles of, of what is needed and why it's needed. It's very worrying that the spaces that we thought we could count on actually not very concrete and so once again those, 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 those warriors because you still are warriors in that space and, and, and it's unfortunate that you know, a lot of ton of bricks have come down on specific names and specific individuals um, and we're sorry for that but at the same time it is you know, you're in that place and, and that pillar of strength for us so there's somebody that we need to turn to a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, we were, we were at, a, at a women's conference and people spoke about, you know, we need to get warriors into places in government. Well, these warriors in places are in government and in, are in the room, and we're counting on them to create that change, to shift the table, to shake the table, rather, on behalf of people that are on the ground. And if you can't, we understand it's not that easy. If you can't, then so be it, then don't. But then don't try and unravel the work that so many other people have done in that space and don't set up so-called platforms where people think, well, yes, you know, change is made, they understand. Because by siding and sanitizing a perpetrator is not understanding the space that we need to be in and the space that we need to go and is not giving the accurate and, and, and transparent support that victims and survivors deserve. So with that, we all need to do our part. We all make mistakes. And it's up to, to our peers and our, and, our, and, our, and our respective sectors to call us out when we, when we do make that mistake because we can, we're human, and we're also stressed. Pandem- the pandemic has added on to the, the original pandemic of gender-based violence. So we, we're all operating like robots at the moment. And so when we do mess up, we, we mess up, but then rein us in. And when we are reined in, then let's act accordingly. Let's not retaliate in a, in a patriarchal way. Let's not retaliate with violence. Let's not twirl for the misogynists. Leave that up to the patriarchy princesses. That's fine, that's what they do. But we really need the change because too, much, too many of us are dead. Too many of us are dying physically. And too many of us are dying emotionally and and psychologically. And there are way too many of us that are walking around like living corpses. Because they've been, the energy, the passion, the life has been sapped out of them. And that is the change that we need. That is why we do the work that we do. Because at the end of the day, it's a human rights issue. Thank you so much for listening.